get started this morning. I asked Pastor Prentice if he wanted to help lead this song that was just up there for us this morning. He said no. He, he, he didn't feel like that was what he was supposed to do. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we're going to get straight into the word this morning. First, uh, obviously, Pastor Jeremy and Haley aren't here this morning. Pastor Jeremy is spending um, some time up in Arizona with Pastors Rick and, Fre- uh, Rick and Susan Bennett. He is, as they, you know, they are outside elders of our church, and he's spending some time with them this weekend. And Miss Haley is visiting some families, so we're just excited that they are able to get away and have a little bit of refreshing for them before coming back next week. So it's always a privilege to be able to preach to my family. Uh, it's a privilege that I value and take very seriously, and I'm very thankful for it. So right off the bat this morning, um, the message today has like three titles, because I'm a woman, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't, re- Pastor Prentice is just smirking at me up here. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, uh, I've been doing a series with our Glare youth, so they, they've been instructed to pretend as though they've never heard any of this before. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of combining that series of messages into one for you guys today. We've been doing a series called Battlefield, and it's what I feel versus what I know. And it's the battlefield for our hearts, our minds, and our souls, what I feel versus what I know. And, and boy, that's, that's hard sometimes, right? That's a hard one. So I'm going to get straight into the word. I'm going to be talking today out of the book of Joshua. Starting today, I want to read for us in Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the and your word. And, Father, how your word is consistent in season and in out of season and at all times in our life, your word is true. And your word has purpose, and it is for instruction and correction and encouragement. And today, Lord, we just lean into your word and ask that you would inspire us and challenge us and direct us how to live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, this little... This little pep talk, really, that the Lord was giving Joshua right here, it's in chapter 1 of Joshua. Now, if you've read through Joshua, you will realize the significance of this pep talk <laughs> because they're about to go in and fight a bunch of battles. And the crazy thing is, is that every single one of these battles is going to look different. Every single enemy they come up against is different. Every single way that God delivers them is different. It is a whole interest. Listen, what you did with one, they couldn't do with the other. Now, if you have children or you have more than one children, you will know this to be true, right? I had a child. I thought I was the best parent in the world. All the strategies worked, right? You get those books on parenting, and they all worked with my first one. And then the Lord humbled me. And he sent me my second one. 
and I should have just started a bonfire with the books because there was nothing written that could prepare me for what that was going to be like. It was a completely different experience. And listen, what will work at one point in our life is not going to work at another point in our life, right? The sense, let me, the other thing, I had this wonderful college student come and show me her schedule, and it was so, she was overwhelmed by her 15 hours of classes. That's for the whole week, people. That's all she had to do for the whole week was 15 hours. And I thought, oh, I remember that. I remember being so overwhelmed by my 15 hours. And, Lord, if somebody would just tell me I only had to do 15 hours of work next week, I'd feel like I was on vacation, right? Listen, every season of life is different. Every battle that we face is different. What will work in one moment will not work in another moment. We are going to face different situations. And so here we are in the book of Joshua, and at this moment, Joshua and the Israelites are about to cross in to this promised land, right? This promised land that they've been hearing about their whole life, and they're about to cross into it but they're going to have to take it. They're not just going to get to walk in there and be like, oh, plant my flag. It's not the way it works. They're going to have to take it. And so God gives them this pep talk walking in here to remind them to be strong and courageous, to remind them to stick to his word, stick to his plan, stick to what they know is true about him, and go in and be ready. And they could have had no clue what they were about to walk into and the battles that they were going to face. And I want to talk today about three specific battles they face that mirror a lot of times the battles that we face in our life. And the first one is Jericho. And listen, my, my upbringing, I was raised in church my whole life. So when I think of Jericho, there was this song by Reba Rambo McGuire. Yeah. And they would, uh, they would talk about marching on the walls. And then in her high-pitched voice, she would yell, shut up and march. I just remember being a little girl singing this song, right? Walking around the walls of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, right? We, who has heard that story, right? How many of you have walked up to your computer to check your bank account and begin to walk around it like, I'm going to march around it. I'm going to let the walls fall. You're going to release the funds, Lord, release the funds. Listen, Jericho was a supernatural battle. And listen, they didn't do anything but walk, but there was one key part to that, and it was obedience. Because let me tell you something, it was not the most legitimate-sounding battle plan. It didn't make any sense. We hear it, it somewhat makes sense to us, but see, we're hearing about it after the fact. But you're walking up to the city of Jericho with these walls, and you're being told by God to march around them. For six days, just walk around it. Now, what do you think the people inside Jericho were thinking? Now, I've heard lots of people say that they were probably making fun of the people who were walking around. But you know that that's not true. Because when the spies went in and they talked to Rahab, who was inside, she told them, we are afraid and fearful because we know that the Lord is with you. Listen. The message of God had already gotten there before the people of God had even showed up. Those people were, they knew that God was on the side of his people. They knew what was going to happen. They didn't know how, but God was going to do it. They were already prepared. 
And so God's people marched around and around, and the walls fell. And you know what's really wonderful about this moment is there are times in our life when we know that there have been situations we have faced, and we have overcome them, and it has not been because of anything that we did. It was simply because of the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. There have been those moments If you've never experienced one, ask somebody around you. I'm telling you, there have been moments where the reason that we were here, I'm I'm telling you, the reason where your car spun out on the interstate and you were still sitting there, you knew it was a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that you were still there. There We have all had Jericho moments. But I want to point out one key thing about that moment, and that was Rahab. And we've all heard the story of Rahab, she helped the spies escape. She hung that red cord out, and her family was spared. But it's also important to realize that not only was her family spared, but the future of Jesus Christ in that moment. She is found in the lineage of Jesus Christ, a woman who was outside of the people of God, a woman who, where she was from, was destined to be destroyed and taken over by the people of God. But because those spies had grace enough to see her, and she had bravery enough to protect them, God spared her. Listen, in our moments where God is doing what only he can do, when we are experiencing supernatural victory in our lives, we need to be able to look around and see the people in our lives that need us to show them grace and need us to show them love. Because if we can walk through victorious, but when there's somebody else who's struggling, if we can show them grace and bring them along with us to safety and bring them into our family and bring them in to our protection, we never know the future that we might be preserving for that family, that future generation, those people that we let into our homes, we never know who we might be protecting, what future we might be saving. So in those moments of supernatural victory, we have to have the eyes to see the people around us and have grace to see who we can be a savior to, who we can pull in and make a part of the family of God. Because of the victory God has given us, we have the ability and the strength and the means to help other people. So listen, when you have faced sicknesses and illnesses and God has delivered you, encourage those people who still haven't gotten their healing yet. When God has provided for you financially, be an encouragement and a support to those people who are struggling financially. When your children are living for the Lord and doing what they're supposed to, encourage those parents who are walking through the fire with their children who are not living for the Lord. Your supernatural victory can help carry someone else to be a part of the family of God and to experience their own supernatural victory. But they need you to have the grace enough to see them, not revel in your own moment of success and victory, but to have the willingness to take them alongside of you. It's an important thing that we don't miss, the Rahabs that God has put in our life. The second battle I want to talk about is Ai. Oh, what a little name. What a big problem. (laughs) Ai. We have two battles at Ai. One, first one, did not go so well. Second one, went much better. But the story of Ai starts out that they are moving from Jericho to take on the next city. It's a small city. They send some people. They're like, look, we got this. We need to send the whole army. 
Let's just send a few up there. We'll take it over. We got it. It did not go well. It did not go well. In fact, they were completely wiped out. And they came back and they began to say, God, God, why, what happened? I thought that you were going to give this to us. I thought this was going to go the way we were supposed to. And at that moment, God began to reveal that there was something not right. And we become, we hear the story of Achan's sin, that he had taken things that were sacred. He was not supposed to take. And his whole, he and his whole family were wiped out. And then they returned to Ai and completely destroyed it. In fact, burned it to the ground, leveled it completely, took everything out, and took over. Now, what are we supposed to learn from Ai? Now, I don't know if y'all remember those little cartoons, right? Where we had the devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other. Right? Y'all all seen those, remember? It would be like Tweety Bird or some other little character in the cartoons. You know, and the kid's about to do something that maybe they shouldn't do, and this little devil pops up and says, go ahead and do it. Nobody's going to see you. And then the little angel pops up and says, you should not do that. It would not be. Now, listen, I'm not trivializing. I'm ta- do you remember what I'm talking about? Y'all seen that before? Listen, that analogy is not completely off of base. Because when it comes down to it, we oftentimes are in that same battle every single day of our lives where we've got one voice that's telling us one thing to do, and we've got the Holy Spirit telling us to do something else, and our mind is stuck in the middle of trying to choose between one way or the other. I know this is true because in John 8, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. This is talking about the enemy. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we have to realize The enemy has a voice. He speaks. It may be through others around us, maybe through our own thought life, but the enemy has a voice, and he is speaking lies to us. And he is the father of lies. And then we know the opposite of this about our God because it says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He is the father of heavenly lights. Do we see the difference? We have the father of lies and the father of heavenly lights. Now, in the first battle of Ai, the father of lies, his voice was elevated to Achan. It caused sin to come into the people of Israel, and they lost that battle. But they came back. Joshua, God showed Joshua where the problem was. They corrected it, made right, got their hearts clean with God, listened and allowed the father of lights to come into them and bring light and truth. And they were able to walk out there. And the same battle that they had lost, they were able to win. Listen, we got a choice. As I told my glare youth, uh, you might want to tell some one of your friends, look, you about to AI, you about to AI won this. It's about to be an AI one. You need to go recalibrate. You need to turn this side off and listen to the other side. Okay? It can be your secret code word. Right? When your husband's talking crazy, you can let him know, you are really about to AI one this situation. I'm going to need you to recalculate. If you want to have any victory in your life, you're going to need to change it up. Now, listen, it's, it's, it's funny to think about, but we have to realize Yes, God is more powerful than the enemy, but the level of we of what we allow their voices to be is up to us. So the Holy Spirit is speaking truth into your mind, into your heart, into your soul every single day, all day. 
If the word of God is in you, then it is in you. You have, If you are saved by grace, if you are a child of God, then that salvation has sealed itself in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you, which means the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. That does not silence the voice of the enemy. But we have to make a decision on which one we will listen to and which one will be the loudest. Because it could really go either way. When I was talking to the kids about this, I began to tell them about a term called practical atheism. It's a super weird spot to take a drink of water, but we all know what atheism means. It means not believing in God, right? But there's a mindset that too often we as Christians, especially when we live in a free country where we have the freedoms and luxuries that we have in America, that we can begin to live a life of practical atheism, meaning that we acknowledge that God exists, but we don't live like he exists. It's very easy for us to say, I believe in God. It's a completely different thing to live like he exists. And when it comes to these voices, it comes to this tug and pull between our hearts and minds and who we're going to listen to and how we're going to operate, we have got to choose to live like God exists. That means that the choices we make do have an impact. That means that the thoughts that we allow to circle through our mind have an impact on who we are and our witness. That means that the way we live our lives as people has an impact. And we have to realize that the voice of God exists and we've got to begin living like God exists. Boy, that, that makes a difference, right? You think about it. If we have a loved one who has passed away, if we could have one more day to spend with them, would we not spend that day with them? engaging with them, talking to them, asking them questions that we forgot to ask, that we wish we had asked, would we not engage with them? Listen, folks, Jesus really did die, and he really did rise again, and he really is alive. And we need to live like he's alive. We need to consider him. We need to pray, not just about things we have to vote on, but on the way we live our lives. We need to be praying about how we show love to the people around us. We need to be praying about how we deal with situations in our family and with relationships. We need to begin to listen to the voice of the Father of heavenly lights. We need to allow his voice to become louder in our lives, and we need to begin to consult it and act like it exists. Because for a moment after that great victory in Jericho, not an accident that it happened after a great victory. Because we often, after we have gotten victory and we are living in a place where everything seems to be going okay, it is quick, we become quick to forget who God is. Quickly after a victory, they forgot. And they allowed themselves to be duped by the enemy and they suffered. We have to make a decision to not be duped by the voice of the enemy, but to begin to discern between the father of lies and the father of light and begin to live our life in accordance with how he's speaking to us. It's important if we want to fight these battles that we're facing. The last battle that I want to talk about is the battle at Gibeon. And this is 
this is the story of the sun stands still. How many of you have heard that story? Right? Sun stands still. I told my kids, look, there's all kinds of people want to argue if we can trace back and find that real day. So I read an article told me it was July 22nd. I said, well, sometimes on July 22nd, it does feel like the day is never going to end because it's hot. <laughs> Listen, we may or may not be able to do that. That is not a battlefield to die on right there. What the truth of this story is, is that our God is a supernatural God. He controls the sun, the moon, the stars, the water. He controls it all. So he can do whatever he wants to do. And listen, we cannot just have to rely on some article written by somebody else to prove that God exists. If you need to find documented proof that the sun actually stood still, you're missing the point. The point isn't can we prove through science, through articles, through all of this, that there's a day that lasted longer. What we can prove is, is that God moves on behalf of his people. And sometimes he does it in ways that we cannot understand. This is the story of Gibeon, reading in Joshua chapter 10, verses 6 through 13. The men of Gibeon, who, by the way, had tricked the Israelites into protecting them. They weren't exactly close friends. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once. Save us. Help us. For the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. I mean, whenever God tells us not to be afraid, it's kind of a cue that says, listen, this isn't really going to go how you planned, but I got it. Whenever God says, do not be afraid, it's because, look, things are going to probably look pretty scary. <laughs> so don't be afraid. I got it. I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. So Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite kings by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered a great number of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Medekah. As the Amorites retreated down the road to Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm. From heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of them than the in, of, more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with their own sword. I want to pause really quickly right there. Any of you ever been in a hailstorm? How many of you know there's not really a place you can stand to avoid it unless you're like the Matrix guy and you can like do all of that, right? Listen, let's get real. The sun's going to stand still here in a second, but right now this is a pretty big deal. Because they are fighting the enemy, hand-to-hand combat, close together, in each other's faces. And God sends hail, and it kills the people that are fighting, but it doesn't kill them. We're talking about a targeted hailstorm. Now, that's pretty amazing to think that God not only has control over big things, he didn't just send a hailstorm, it was targeted to defeat the enemy that they were fighting. So the hailstorm killed more people than they did. On that day, the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites. Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all of the people of Israel. Now, here's why he prayed this prayer first. They weren't done. They hadn't taken care of everybody. There was still enemy there. Were they victorious already? Yes. Look, they'd already, look, 
they'd already taken most everybody out. They could have rounded up the rest of them and sent them anyway. They already had the victory in the wind column, but they weren't done. They hadn't finished the job. Do not stop fighting a battle before you've really finished it. We cannot give up. What does the Bible say? Do not grow weary in well-doing. We cannot give up. If we have been battling something, we cannot afford to get lazy. We have to continue to push through. They were already victorious at this point, but Joshua knew they weren't done. And so because they weren't done, he prayed and he said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Basically, pause, because we need daylight to finish fighting this battle. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Now, what's so crazy about this is we see some very different things. Remember, three battles. One, Israel didn't have to do anything but walk. Supernatural victory that took place. Second, little battles, we see what happens when our flesh and when we allow ourselves to listen to the wrong voices, we oftentimes can go through a period of defeat. But we have an opportunity always with God. We have an opportunity. Thanks be to the God who saves and rescues and forgives. Because if we mess it up and we screw it up and we lose and we find ourselves defeated, we get ourselves right, we clean ourselves up, we make ourselves right with God, we listen to his voice, we go back in and we take it over and we get victorious. Your one-time defeat is nothing, people. Read the Bible. Israel constantly lost battles, constantly screwed stuff up, and every time they got right with God, he would restore them and he would deliver them. Your one-time mistake and failure is not an excuse to give up. It's a time and an opportunity to change who you're listening to and move on to what God has called you to do. And then we find ourselves at Gibeon and we find ourselves realizing that though it would be super awesome if we could just say, listen, God, I'm really struggling with eating too much. If you could help me and God would just supernaturally Make us not want food. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if chocolate cake tasted bad? <laughs> right? It'd be super great. Listen, sometimes there's, sometimes there's a mixture, and we see that here in Gibeon, that God uses the supernatural and a process at the same time. Because God supernaturally brought hail and panic upon the enemy. God supernaturally caused the sun to stand still. But the people of Israel still had to fight. The sun stood still so that they could have light to continue fighting. Sometimes we have to realize that there's a supernatural aspect to the process we have to go through. We have to go through it. We have to fight through it. We have to push through it. We have to realize that God is supernaturally on our side. He will make a way when there does not seem to be a way. But we have to fight through to the way. We have to get ourselves there. We have to do the work. In Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 19, I'm not going to read it. It's the story of the armor of God, it says we're told to put on the armor of God because our battles aren't with flesh and blood, but spiritual battles in heavenly places. Remember, the Old Testament, it, it helps to prophesy where we are today, what we are going through. Listen, we are not going outside right now with our swords to take over Humboldt, okay? That's not how this works. We're not talking about real flesh and blood people, okay? 
Now, while some of us may get excited if we got a coworker at work that's giving us a hard time to think, I'm about to go in and pray some hail down on them tomorrow. That's not the way this works. We are not talking about flesh and blood battles. Remember, what are we fighting now? What is the battle? What is the ground the enemy wants? See, in the Old Testament, those Amorite kings, they were trying to take over their land. It was about land. It was about a physical place of ownership. Right now, the enemy is fighting over the most valuable land that there is, and that is your heart and your soul and your mind. And if he can get a hold of your heart and soul and mind and win you over and take over your thought life, take over your heart, take over your soul, then he can have you. He is fighting a battle for you. Your soul, your life is what is being fought for. And it is not being fought by flesh and blood. When I was talking to my young people, I found a list of the 11 battles that most Christian young people are facing today, biggest battles that they face. And I read them and I thought, well, this is not Christian young people, it's Christians. These are the 11 battles that most of us face in one form or fashion. Some of us on a daily basis, I would gather to say that most of these, all of us have struggled with at one time or another. Sometimes we, we forget that we're in a battle. Remember, it's like I said, we acknowledge that God exists, but we, we forget to live like he exists. And if we're not living like he exists, then we're not living like the enemy exists. And that means there's a battle being fought over us and we're not contributing to it. There's a war out for our hearts, souls, and minds. What are we really fighting, personalizing, and living out our faith? Living in an anti-Christian culture. Sexual purity, temptation, and pressure. Identity and self-image. Depression and anxiety. Divorce and family relationships. Negative media influence. Busyness. Lack of discipline. Materialism and relationships. Those are the top 11 battles that Christian young people are dealing with. And I would gather to say that all Christians deal with. See, listen. The world may call it busyness. We need to look at it and call it Jericho. The Lord may call it your failing marriage. We need to look at it and call it Gibeon. You may look at it as a relationship that has been destroyed and, has, and you've lost control of it. You need to look at it and say, that was AI1, and now I'm believing God for AI2. I'm believing for victory. We need to begin to realize that the battles we face may all look different, but there's one God who gives us the power to win them. We fight not with words or swords, but with the spirit of the Lord. We are steadied by truth. Listen, this is the armor of God put in practical application for your life. We fight with not words or swords, but with the spirit of the Lord. We are steadied by truth. We are made righteous through him. We walk in humility to bring peace. When the enemy attacks with worry, fear, and temptation, our faith shields us. We are secure in our mind because of his salvation of hope. And we're going to follow the battle plan of Jesus. See, when Satan attacked him, he responded with scripture. When the enemy looked at him and said, call down this bread so that you can eat, he said, what? Not, you don't get to tell me what to do. No, he said, scripture, man does not live by bread alone. When the enemy looked at him and said, you can have all of this if you'll just bow down to me. He said, man will not bow down to any other God. 
We fight with scripture. We fight with the word of God. We fight with our testimony. We fight with what's in us. We realize, how do I have the strength to stand through difficult? Because my waist is girded with the spirit of truth, and it keeps me standing upright even when I'm being beaten down. When the enemy is firing arrows at me and I feel like I'm being bombarded by temptation and bombarded by fear and bombarded by hatred and ugliness, what is it that's protecting me? It's my shield of faith. It's my faith in the word of God and who he is that keeps me safe. I may feel surrounded. Today I want you to think you may feel surrounded. You may feel destroyed. You may be feeling doubtful. You may be feeling discouraged. You may be feeling incapable. But what do we know? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7. What do I know even if I don't feel it? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. What do I know even if I don't feel it? For the kingdom of God, oh, this is my new favorite verse. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. 1 Corinthians 4.20. That's my new verse. What do I know even if I don't feel it? That my life is to be lived by the power of God. What do I know even when I don't feel it? He is God. He exists. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. Nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor death, nor life. Nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus. The battle may change, but God does not. 